Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season eight, episode 14. We're coming to the end of the season here. Wow. I actually just can't believe we have eight seasons now locked and loaded in, uh, in, you know, in the archive. Today's guest is Susie Gamez. I've been trying to interview her all season long and we had to keep sort of shuffling things around. So I'm pumped to bring her to you as the last episode of the season. Our sponsors as well are bringing this episode to you, Compassion Canada and the Canadian Center for Christian Charities. If you want to know about either of them, the links are always down in the show notes. But hey, have you checked out this whole season? Maybe you want to catch up on some of the episodes here that you've wanted to check out, you just haven't had a chance yet. Or maybe you want to go back and check out some previous stuff like uh, John Mark Comer seems to be popular ones or Priscilla Shire, or maybe you want to go to John Tyson, or maybe you want to, I don't know, whoever you want to get. There's there's eight seasons now of people you can check out. So please go do that on our YouTube channel, or even just wherever you listen to podcasts, scroll back and check out what we've got some rich conversations to come to your ears. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about Susie Gamez. I love how she describes herself. She is Canadian by birth. Korean by heritage, Mexican by marriage, and American by immigration. So she is a very multicultural person in her perspective, her views, her insights. And you're going to love that as we introduce her to you. She's a global preacher. She goes all over the world teaching and speaking, but she's a local pastor. And actually we talked to her just as she was starting a new job at a new church. She's in Sacramento, California. And she is all about talking about justice and racial reconciliation. She's a former youth worker. She lived in like South Central Los Angeles. She's a missionary. She's many things. And you're going to love this conversation. Here it is with Susie Gavis. Welcome to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Susie Gomez, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's so good to be here. We've been trying to schedule this for a while now, so I'm glad that it's finally well, happening. Well, it's true. We've been trying to schedule it because you're a busy woman doing lots of interesting things that we want to hear about. <laughs> so before we do that, though, can you just introduce yourself? Like, Give us some context for who you are, Susie. Sure. Uh, so I'm Susie Gomez, and I am married to Marcos, a mom of Amaya, Malachi, Lucia, and Micah. I almost forgot the last <laughs> one's name. Uh, he goes by MJ, Micah Jaden. Uh, but we are busy just because we are a family of six, but also as we're recording this right now, we're right in the middle of a move. So we just moved from Long Beach, Southern California to Northern California in Sacramento. So I, uh, I have just taken a position with a church called Midtown Covenant Church, and I am a teaching pastor and I'll be overseeing uh, spiritual formation and discipleship. Uh, so it's a new role for me, officially started just like as of this week. So we are yeah. in a busy season, but it's, it's, it's been a good season. Yeah. Well, and your your career has meandered in a number, like there's a theme behind it all, but your career has kind of gone in a few different places. And I'd love in this conversation to get into some things about, we're talking about leadership. I want to 
talk about preaching and want to talk about, you know, reconciliation work, justice work, let's start uh, in South Central LA, where you were for a long time. Tell us, yeah. um, maybe tell us what that work was, and then I'll, I'll follow up with some more. Sure. So back in the year 2000, so 22 years ago now, I was a college student, and I went to Urbana, which is a big missions conference. A lot of people know about it. It happens every three years or so. Uh, and I came, a, I came across a missions organization specifically an urban missions organization. And it's funny because I was wandering the halls, you know, there's like a thousand booths down there. And I was looking for places that would help train me. Uh, So whether it be a place of higher education that had a program. Sorry, I'm hearing an echo. Do you hear it on your end? Oh, shoot. Is it? um, Okay, hold on. Um, Let's see. Hello, can you hear it now? I don't hear it from you, but... Oh, okay. Oh, you're hearing yourself. Oh, you're better. I was hearing myself. Okay. Oh, shoot. Okay. Okay, we edit that out or should it just keep going? Okay. Yeah, I'll ask you. I'll dive it. We'll ask the question again. Okay. So I'd love to cover with you a lot of things like I want to talk about leadership and your preaching. You've gone all over the place preaching. You have, you come from Canada, my own country. Yes. I would love to talk about that later. Uh, but a lot of your work themes around justice, advocacy, racial reconciliation, and young people like next generation. Um, so can you tell us where that started? Because you, you came, you spent a ton of years out of South Central L.A., So that's an interesting place to work. How did you get there? Tell us the story of what that work was. Sure. So back in 2000, I was a college student and I went to Urbana, a huge missions conference, and came across all those booths that all the students come across, those thousands of booths. Uh, Came home with an armful of information on a ton of different places. But the one place that really stood out to me uh, was World Impact. And so uh, my interaction with the guy that was uh, sort of recruiting at the booth was really funny too. He was about to close up shop, but he saw me coming down the the, the, the little hallway. And he was like, hey, are you Korean? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh. And, and I said, are you? And he said, no, I'm not, but I go to a mostly Korean church. Uh, and then he said, are you interested in urban missions, urban ministry? And I said, actually, I am. And, and he said, well, I don't have much time to tell you about it right now, but put your name down and we'll send you some information. And so it was funny. I, just, I really had no time to talk to him about what the organization was, but it was the monthly newsletters that I got after that that really captured my attention. And so in my last semester of college, um, there was an opportunity to come visit the ministry. So it was called like urban exposure or whatever they called it. And so I went down for a weekend and I left practically begging God, like, God, this, I, I, I feel alive when I come here. And, um, I, I just feel like I have so much to learn. Um, and you know, if you would have me, I would love to join what you're already doing here in LA. And so I had all sorts of visa problems coming into, and I just went through a whole season of like, God, am I really hearing you? Is this just what I came up with? Is this what I want? <laughs> but through a series of events, God just really affirmed um, that this is where, you know, this this was the door that was being opened. Uh, and so I really say I went to Fuller Theological Seminary. <clears throat> I did a two-year program in cross-cultural studies. Uh, and you know, it was a great, it's a great institution. I learned a lot of things. Most especially I met a lot of really great people. Uh, Marcos and I met each other before we were both students at Fuller, but we started dating while we were both there. 
Um, but it's really the 14 years that I spent just living in the neighborhood, um, learning from my neighbors, just living as God's people together in community in South Central that really gave me uh, the education and the training that I think you can't, you can't buy it, quote unquote, anywhere. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, so just living in the community and making, like being exposed to what like the, the, these are the issues that aren't just issues from a distance that you read about in the newspaper or hear about on the news. Um, these are things that affect, like when you live in the neighborhood too, the, the, these issues affect you as well as your neighbors. And as you get to know and love your neighbors, you can't help but care about the issues that affect your neighbors because you know and love them, right? Um, and so it just really taught me a lot about why um, advocacy and justice is a huge part of uh, what needs to be part of the church's discipleship and why justice and the gospel are not two separate matters. Uh, these are the things that Jesus would care about and the good news ought to be good news to people that are living here on the earth now, right? Yeah. Well, do you have a, can you give us a story or an illustration? I'm imagining like there were particular people, whether that's a like a teenager or that's a family or that's a response a church ministry had. Can you give us an example of some of the things you were seeing and experiencing? Like what were these injustices? Maybe you can illustrate it through a particular person. Yeah. Um, I won't give names, uh, obviously, but... I, I'll also integrate it with my own story and talk about how our own stories, as well as how it affects your neighbor and how systemically all these are integrated with how we, uh, how we learn about, how we teach about and how we absorb the gospel. So it's funny because, you know, with the organization that I worked for, we were quote unquote missionaries. And so we would have to raise support. Part of our work was to go to supporting churches and um, ask for financial help or some kind of partnership resources wise and, and whatnot. And what I realized was a lot of the time you'd go to these churches um, and you'd talk about how, you know, Jesus very clearly when you read the gospels cared about the poor and the marginalized and I was often shocked at how many people didn't see that in the Gospels, where it was revelatory mm. for them to, to see that Jesus had a special concern for the poor. Like I would even have people ask me, can you point out specific verses to me where Jesus cared for the poor or where he said that we should care for the poor? And I was like, how did you grow? A lot of these people were people who grew up in church and these were grown adults who just, this was revelatory for them. And, and mind you, maybe this was 10, 15 years ago when people weren't talking about justice issues on social media and all of, all of the matters weren't as uh, talked about as widely as they are right now. But I was just often surprised at how little, um, quote unquote, mainstream evan evangelical churchgoers would see through the lens of Jesus uh, having a special concern for the poor. Um, I mean, Jesus talked about it in his ministry, I think more than 300 times. Um, and so, or maybe I'm getting that statistic wrong. It's, it's maybe named in the new Testament more than 300 times. Um, but in either case, uh, if I'm going to give you a specific example for myself, I actually went through, like I said, I, I went through visa problems. I ended up getting a deportation letter when I applied for my green card. Um, and I personally got to see sort of the, um, the flaws in the immigration system. And again, oftentimes living in LA, uh, you hear about undocumented immigrants or some people will say uh, illegal immigrants. 
<clears throat> and people often have this stereotype of a brown person from Mexico, right? These are the illegals leaving, living among us. I, 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 I don't think that you should call anybody illegal, right? Um, but I, yeah, I went through my own process of being undocumented and it was very different from the narrative that everybody heard. I'm coming from Canada. I came in getting my master's. I'm serving as a missionary and whatnot. And so I saw all of the flaws within the immigration system. But for my neighbors, many who were undocumented, when when you read the gospels and you hear about Jesus' special concern for the poor or welcoming the stranger, welcoming the foreigner, the immigrant, those who are um, at risk. You know, there's, there's so many ways in which Jesus had a special concern for those who were in the position of many of my neighbors. And if we're saying that, you know, that, that God, the church cares about, um, about all people, and we're not engaging in broken systems that margin, further marginalize, like kids who came over the border at two years old. Um, how, how does the good news really get married with their present day circumstances if we're not, if the church is not engaging with broken systems and um, welcoming the foreigner, the immigrant stranger, and uh, acknowledging America's own broken past? You know, we, we all came in um, not really welcome, you know, like the, the indigenous folks who, who were already living on the land, um, you know, some would, would euphemize it and say that we're all immigrants, but really, you know, there's, there's a really gross past that needs to be reckoned for and acknowledged. And I don't know that the church is, has been readied for that. I think in Canada, it's interesting. And maybe you can well, speak to this a and little then bit. Along those lines, there's, yeah, I mean, along those lines, we're talking about, um, a lot of deconstruction in the church now, that's the buzzword, but maybe the simplest question for you out of, out of what you saw the church doing or how people who'd been in the church for years didn't seem to realize this was a, a core teaching of Jesus. Um, maybe it's simplest to say, why do you stick with the church? Like what, like, because we, there's so many problems. Um, there's lots of things to critique and deconstruct and rebuild, uh, to deconstruct and I hope construct again, but why, why are yeah. you still there when there's all the, cause I think some of the best people doing justice work are not necessarily in the church. Mm, yeah. You know, it's interesting. The first question that my dad asked me, uh, he, he became a Christian later in life. So he was in his later forties, I think when he really gave his life to Jesus and uh, he became a missionary for many of his later years. And when I told him that I wanted to go to LA and I wanted to join this missions organization, he asked me the question, now, Susie, do you want to do humanitarian work or do you want to do missions work? And hmm. he basically said, you know, the biggest difference there is, do you really believe that Jesus um, is, is the core of why, is Jesus the one who's calling you into the work? Do you believe that Jesus is the one that has the transforming power that you're really looking to um, like live out your calling. And he, and he said, you know, humanitarian work is good, uh, but it only goes so far. And this is that whole argument between like, um, you know, preach the God, just preach the gospel, you know, versus like, you know, do something to change the world. Right. And I really do believe that, you know, Jesus is, is the perfect marriage between the two of those things where you want to feed the hungry bellies, but you want to he feed hungry souls as well. Right. And um, for me, I do believe that, that Jesus is the perfect model for us. Um, the only one who ever walked the earth that was without sin. Um, and the one in whom, you know, we want to follow in his footsteps. Right. 
the church is obviously very broken. And so just acknowledging that the church is imperfect, but Jesus is perfect, I think is a good guide for me uh, to have grace for people, uh, but to recognize in my own self too. I think perhaps that's probably the biggest reason why I can also say I'm, I can still go hard for the church because I know, I know my own imperfections um, and I want to have grace for myself. Um, but I, I'm not giving up on the model that Jesus set for us. And I do believe that Jesus... Um, gave us the most perfect way. Uh, so, This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Compassion Canada. Transformation. It can feel like a buzzword. And what does transformation even look like? Well, one place that transformation to me is so evident is in the stories of former Compassion children. I have met the kids who've been sponsored by Compassion, who've become graduates or alumni of Compassion's program in the local churches around the world. And they have amazing stories of how sponsorship has impacted them. Like Rhea, she's originally from the Philippines and had this impactful line in her story. Knowing someone cares for you, that changes you. So Rhea's story is a powerful highlight of how being a sponsor child built Christ-like confidence in her and that empowered her to take hold of her future from poverty to where she's at today. And today she now sponsors a child, I love this, in the village that she was in herself. So she grew up and then is now sponsoring the next generation of kids to have a hope and a future free from poverty. Child sponsorship transforms lives like Rhea. And you can learn more about child sponsorship at compassion.ca slash if only. The link is down in the show notes. I understand what you're saying. I think that makes a lot of sense. I love that this qu- that your dad asked you this question at the start, like which way yeah. do you want to go? Um, and it's led to you also preaching at le- all over North America. I mean, just re- recently you were up in Canada at a big conference in Vancouver, yeah, uh, a big worship conference. Um, how did that happen for you? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who would look at your um, your speaking career, as if we could call it that, as part of your ministry and admire how that has come for you. And people say, I want to be like Susie. How, how did that happen? Um, <laughs> how, you know, traveling around speaking. Um, let's, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. You know, especially because I've done some work with the Women's Speaker Collective, I wish I could give you like, here's a list of five things that can help you, you know, help you launch out into your speaking career. I really, and I, I don't mean for this to be sort of like a pat answer, but I oftentimes I'm just, I don't know how I ended up here. You know, it, it just is like some of the, uh, the opportunities that God has afforded me have just, I can only say it's really like, man, God made that happen because I wasn't looking right. for it. I was just kind of in the right place at the right time. And I think, you know, I think back on my 14 years in South Central for many of those years, it was just sort of in obscurity. It was 10 years in a middle school band room where 20 to 30 kids, many of them related to each other, you know, were just in, in every Friday night <laughs> would get together for youth group and I'd be teaching the Bible. And that was just, that was my stomping ground. And it was just like, all we want to do is study the Bible together and let's do this in a way that would be engaging. I mean, if you're talking about tough audiences, you know, I've got, I've got a group of young kids in the middle of LA who could be uh, all sorts of different places on a Friday night, but chose to come together. And if 
I was like, man, if we're if they're choosing to be here on a Friday night and they want to study the word together, we're doing something right here. And so, you know, even just the feedback that I get from young people where they'd be like, man, I like studying the Bible like this, or I, I like engaging in the word in this way. It just, it gave me permission to keep doing what I was doing because it was like, man, it's landing on some good soil. Um, and I think just being faithful in whether you're teaching to a group of, you know, five, 10 year olds or to, to thousands of people, um, if you're just, if you're putting in the work to, to, to teach the word and engage in it, I mean, God's just, God will do the rest. I, that's really a pat answer that I know a lot of people aren't looking for. But, um, another thing I'd say too, is just, uh, again, in faithfully serving in different spaces, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of people who did have platform, um, or who did have, um, opportunities to teach in places that, um, weren't as obscure, and I think because of that, I was invited into some places, again, that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but because I've served driving around speakers, or I've, heard, I've, I've helped uh, set up meals at conferences. You just, you m- meet cool people and then you get to do podcasts uh, with women yeah. in Canada who are, you know, doing some great things. Yeah. And, and working, I love this, it, you know, at some level, there's no formula to it, but being like putting the reps in, in small unseen places with, with a tough crowd. I'd love to know (laughs) too, like, what have you learned or what inspires you when you think of like young people, next gen, especially if people are coming from like a tougher background. Um, And we're talking about that idea of like, there is a, there is something about Jesus that differentiates from just justice work. Um, what have you learned from young people? Uh, the ones that you've like lived and worked, what would you say is some things that you feel you've learned or feel hopeful about the future when you look at like the next gen coming up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably universally, whether they're in South Central or if they're in Beverly Hills, you know, I think for young people, one thing, uh, that I think that we're constantly trying to recapture, even when, so after college, people say it's hard to make friends when you're an adult, right? And then when you get married and as a spouse, you come together and you have to try to make friends with this, you know, people that both of you like, right? Uh, it just becomes harder to find authentic community. But I think young people are good at um, giving each other community because they don't have an agenda. It's just like, man, if, if they're together, and they like hanging out with each other, they're naturally going to listen to each other or they're just going to, they're not going to try to like fix one another or they're not like trying to impress. Well, I guess they are trying (laughs) to impress each other at some point, but, but when you've got your really core group of friends. And again, I think when I think back on the young people that I had the, the blessing to, to live life with for so many years, the sort of the, the, the secret sauce or the magic that I found was that they just really liked being together. And so they really modeled what like community is not a matter of like, like they weren't, they weren't interested in who was, you know, who had what kind of platform or who had what kind of influence or who had what, it was just like, man, we're all just kind of broken together. And like, again, on a Friday night, they could be any which place, but a lot of times it was like, I feel safe with you here. Like we, all we need is a bag of chips and just to be together. We'll laugh together. Mm. We'll, we'll listen to each other. Um, and I just, I think the way that they listen to one another and like, and, and it's surprising to how good a lot of, at least the folks that I got to hang out with, they were really good at empathy. One of the, uh, the most powerful times that we would have every 
Friday night, whenever we got together was we would um, share prayer requests and then we would start the night off just praying for one another. And often it was just the opportunity for them to verbalize to somebody, Hey, can we pray for my uncle? He just got out of jail again. And I'm afraid that he's going to go back or man, we're having a hard time paying for the bills right now. And so these were just really real problems. Um, and we just got to listen to one another and it wasn't like anybody was trying to fix each other. It was just like, Hey, I need to vocalize this and and let's pray together. And that, that was really powerful. Yeah. I love that. Well, when you talk about community, this idea of them coming together, it makes me want to ask you about yourself in community because you have this description of yourself as Canadian by birth. I love this. Korean by heritage, Mexican by marriage, American by immigration. So Mm -hmm. the question that, that leads me to immediately is, do you feel like you fit in everywhere because you've got all this or do you fit in nowhere because you've got all this going on or do you feel like that's both like how do you find is community hard is it easy because you've got touch points with everyone or like you don't fit in anywhere how does that go for you yeah my answer would be yes right it's it's all those right it's uh the both and and you know often when people say that you've got a strength it can also be your weakness uh I, I kind of feel that way for this as well, where I do feel like I can pretty easily f- uh, feel comfortable in many spaces. And part of that is simply because I've had to, you know, um, I think a lot of people who are not a part of the white majority have uh, learned the skill of having to either adapt or maybe even assimilate into spaces uh, whether they they want to or not, or whether they even realize it or not. And it's just a matter of survival. Um, it's also a great strength for many of us because we can kind of be all things to all people in ways that are uh, more natural because we've had that training. Um, but it's also something that you lament because you need spaces where you can fully feel like yourself, Right. The, the thing that is a little bit that I do lament a little bit again now is growing up, I remember growing up in the Korean immigrant church and that was basic, you know, that was my church experience and, and much of my cult, my connection back to my, uh, my heritage was through the church. So, you know, every Sunday you'd hear, you know, all, all the adults are speaking in Korean. Um, the food after church was always like some sort of Korean food. And the Korean immigrant experience was a shared experience amongst the the second generation when we gathered together on Sundays and for summer camps and all the things, right? And now I think about my own kids and their experience is going to be very different. I love the church that, <coughs> excuse me, the church that I'm at now, Midtown Covenant Church, is a beautifully diverse church, like really probably the most diverse space that I've been in. And the thing that is so unique about it that, again, I'm like in my first week of being full-time here on staff, um, but the thing that I'm really looking forward to is being in a place where it's a beautifully multi-ethnic church, but the, the twist on this is that it's also not white-centric. Uh, and I say that because if you go to right. many many multi-ethnic churches in Canada or in the U.S., uh, it may, may be a multi-ethnic church, but there's still sort of a white centering that happens. Like um, like whiteness is normative. Uh, the songs will all be sung in English and it will be in sort of white mainstream evangelical styles of worship, um, the order of service, the length of service, all of those things, right? Now, there are elements of that that you might find at Midtown Church. Um, but when you look at the leadership, 
if you look at the staff, the staff is very diverse, but the lead staff is also not white centric. I'm, I'm considered lead pastoral, um, you know, part of the executive team there now. Um, and if you look at who's on the team, we're, if anything, uh, you know, we might say that we've got sort of more black tendencies at our church than we would have white tendencies. And sort of me being up in the mix, too, they're like looking forward to like, Susie, bring your full Korean self, bring your full Korean Canadian self. Right. And then you've got Marcos in the mix, too, who will bring his full Mexican self wherever he goes. So um, I just rejoice in the fact that we get a chance to um, sort of experiment in what it means to be the multi-ethnic church uh, in a way that hasn't really been modeled to us yet. Uh, but again, there's part of me that laments, well, where are my kids really going to get connection to their Korean side of things too? This podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Center for Christian Charities, or maybe you know them as the four C's. They've been serving churches and charities for nearly 50 years. They support charities through their operational questions and in areas like receiving donations, CRA guidance, board leadership, and training. Joining their membership, it's simple and actually quite affordable because it provides your church or your charity with a huge knowledge base and a resource, a team of professionals willing to help you who know things that your own staff team maybe doesn't have resource for. So it's like adding extra people to your staff just for the price of the membership. So maybe you're a board member, you're an elder, you're a leader, you're thinking about Four C's membership. I want you to visit cccc.org to learn more about what that can look like and to join them. Link is down in the show notes. I, I can appreciate that. And and I guess the application I'd love to get to for people who, who listen, because that was a big aha moment for me as a white Canadian woman, was the difference between like like a diversity of ethnicity in a church versus diversity of cultural expression yeah. in a church, that there was right. a lot of diversity in the church that I went to ethnic diversity, but not cultural expression. There was really only one way we should worship, how we would even, you know, certain people would want to call out or dance or sing or clap in different ways. And it was really kind of uh, not super well. It wasn't unwelcome, but it wasn't encouraged. Maybe I could say it that Mm. way. So when, Mm -hmm. when someone's listening to you, I feel this way. Um, what, you know, and we're looking for local church in our own town. I think this side of COVID is certainly in the Canadian context. A lot of people are trying to figure out where their church home is because we've been right. away from physical church for a long time. Could you right. help us with some, because you've been through lots of churches all around Canada, U.S. What are some markers or if there were some questions you would want to ask going to a church, what might be some of the things that would be that someone could look for and not because we're going to hear tear it apart and say everybody's a horrible person. But but if we're trying to find a church closer to how you're describing, um, Mm -hmm. what might be some things we should be looking for or filters so that we can find that kind of a home? Sure. Uh, If you're a non-white person, uh, so if you, (laughs) I know that some people feel like it's, part of their calling, their unique calling to come and help bring diversity to spaces. So, so for me, there might be places throughout my life in different seasons where, uh, by me being there, I'm bringing greater diversity to the space because a, I'm a person of color, but also I'm a woman. Right. Um, and so there's sort of that double layer there. 
and you may feel called. I know that women will often talk about this. I'm, you know, I'm the only woman. If, if you're talking about pastoral staff, or if you're talking about staff at, or, or just being in leadership spaces for women, um, you know, I, I, I'm. It, it's a lonely place to be the only woman or, or one of very few women. And mm-hmm. some people have that calling and that, that grace on their life to be that person that will help bring change. Uh, and if if a person's not willing to be one of the first, then it's not going to change, right? Um, so there are those folks who, if you've got that special grace and that special perseverance on your life, yes, absolutely, yes and amen, and bring some friends along with you to help create that change, right? But for those who are just yeah, like it. the person that you're describing, like a person who's tired, you know, coming out of COVID, I just need a safe place to go and worship and be myself. That I think that's the answer right there. Like, can you go and feel like you don't have to cater to someone else's preferences? Uh, you can be yourself. And maybe that does look different from, because if you're going to be in a diverse church, there's going to be people who express things differently and think differently. But in this space, do you feel safe enough? Even if you disagree with the person next to you or the leadership at the church, do you feel safe enough to be in disagreement, but still love one another um, and be in a place where you can worship together and grow together? Um, I think that there are a lot of people looking for that. And there are a lot of church plants that are emerging as a result of people looking for that as well. So even if you don't find it in your first try, I think that there are plenty of people who are sort of in the same space as what you've been describing. And I think you can find it. Uh, Susie, just because our time is short today, um, I, 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 I want to talk about these things for a long time, but people can find your resources. You've, you've talked about these things before. So people, if they want to lean more into what you're saying, I'm glad to introduce them to you and they can find more of you, but we always end with a few questions that are the same for everybody. So we have some rapid fire questions for you. And the first one is where is a place that people should travel to that you've been? Maybe that's like a hidden gem in your own town or like a place somewhere in the world that you want to send people if they could get on a plane today. Where do you want to send them? I've got two answers. Vancouver is definitely one of the most beautiful cities in the world, hands down. Korea is one of the funnest cities. Seoul, Korea is one of the funnest cities. I love it. And hey, if we go to Korea, what should we eat? What's the first thing we got to eat? My thing, and this is, it's great because it's cheap food. It's cheap street food. So there's, it's plentiful in Korea, but I love something called tteokbokki. It's like a chewy rice stick that's like dipped in spicy sauce. Oh man, it sounds amazing. Okay, my next question. What is a book that changed how you think about something? Hmm. Uh, I was go back to this one. Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Love that book. Mm. Short, sweet, wow, to the point. Um, Susie, what's a movie that has made you cry? Ooh, um, recently, Minari. So Minari, Minari. Uh, it was an Oscar contender, I think, two years ago. And it's just so close to uh, many of Korean immigrants uh, who can relate to it. It's such a, it's such a slow movie, but it's it's beautiful. Wow. Okay. And the last question is. Uh, if you're in an ice cream shop, you got 50 or a hundred flavors to choose from. What is your go-to ice cream flavor? Uh, <laughs> my, my first reaction is so boring. It's like vanilla bean. <laughs> um, oh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Vanilla bean. 
Hey, there we go. Uh, yeah. Susie, thank you so much. Uh, I wish we had more time to dive into this because you're you're just sort of scratch, scratching the surface of big issues around diversity, racial reconciliation in the church. We talked about immigration. We talked about preaching. We talked about women. We just touched it. But if you, if people want to find more about you or they'd like to see some of your, your preaching or teaching, is there somewhere you could send them on the internet today? Uh, I engage mostly just on Instagram. Um, so Susie K Gomez is my Instagram handle. You can go to my website at susiegomez.com. Um, but yeah, if you reach out via Instagram or through my website, um, we can stay in touch that way. And that's where some of my stuff is. Awesome. Awesome. Susie, thanks so much. Uh, look forward to the next time we chat and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Susie, for that conversation across technology and complications with that. But we just are so glad to have the conversation finally with you. Um, Wow. It's the end of the season. We have arrived and we're bringing you a fresh season into the fall. We're going to take a break now as we encourage you. I hope you have taken a break over the summer and uh, can't wait to get more conversations. You know, we continue to do this because... We believe that the church doesn't just carry good news. It really, it is the best news in the world. And we're not always the best communicators in the world in the church. We need to be better communicators in how we think and how we communicate from technology perspective, how we lead, how we process information, how we address the issues of our day and the things that people care about most. If we can talk to those issues from a Christian perspective, that helps people bridge to who Jesus is. And so that's what We're Made Digital is trying to do. We're trying to help you in the age of digital discipleship and digital evangelism. It's such a privilege to do it and to partner with organizations like Compassion Canada and the Canadian Center for Christian Charities in order to bring these episodes to you every week of the season. And as we take a break, want you to go to our YouTube channel, check out our tutorials and a whole back catalog of podcasts. Would you subscribe? Would you leave a comment? Ask a question. It helps us form how we do our future content. We do it based on what you want. And so uh, how can we help you? We would love to know. And also you can always join the conversation in our digital church Facebook group. That's a great way to engage with other like-minded people, leaders and pastors around the world who are joining this group and we're talking about digital discipleship, digital evangelism. You can even find or post a new job in there. We'd love for you to join us. See you there and see you on season nine coming fall 2022. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate.